0: The teenagers think they're going to get lucky because my voice started going halfway through Bible class, and so they figured that I'm not going to be able to preach very long uh, this morning, but they got another thing coming. They're young, they don't know nothing, do they? John 13 through 17, we have been looking at over the last several weeks, this last significant conversation that Jesus has with his disciples Many of you as as parents maybe remember the last conversation you had before your kids went off to college. Maybe some of you remember the conversation you had before your children or one of your children went and deployed overseas in the military or something like that. And this is what is going on here. You understand, as a parent, you want to you give them everything that they need. I remember when I was getting ready to go to college. Now, my parents, you know, were rather strict, so I thought. And, and you know, it, it taught me well growing up. And about the last month before I was fixing to go to college, I thought, what has gotten into these people? because they just kept talking to me and they kept telling me things and they kept and I'm like where was this for the last 18 years you know but they they wanted to instill things in me before I left Jesus knows that he's leaving he tells them that he's leaving and he's got some things that he wants to instill in them his disciples he tells them he's leaving but then he tells them he's coming back But he says there's that in the meantime. What are the disciples supposed to do in the meantime? You know, there were some people a little later on who asked the same question. There were some people in a town called Thessalonica who believed that Jesus was coming back. They knew he was coming back. He said he was coming back. They believed his promise. And so they thought that in the meantime, you didn't do anything. You just kind of sat around. You quit your job. You didn't go to work. You just you just sat there and waited for Jesus to come back. And Paul had to write and tell them, No, in the meantime, you continue doing the things that you need to be doing. But you don't just sit there. So Jesus offers, and we've looked at this. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Dennis. That in these chapters, he offers words of comfort words of warning, words of encouragement, and words of caution. And when we looked at the words of comfort, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Now, he gave us reasons not to be afraid, right? And then he said, trust me. Some of us have a difficult time with trust. We've been burned. Jesus says, trust me because... I always keep my promises. And then he said, you are not alone. We may think we're in this alone, but we're not. And then a couple of weeks ago, we started on the words of warning. And we noticed, as Norman told us many times, that there is just as much love in a warning as there is in a blessing. And so Jesus wants to warn his disciples and us about some things. And the first thing he says is, don't let go. Abide in me. Stay in me. Remain in me. Because if you don't, you will die. Those branches that do not remain in the vine are cut off and thrown into the fire. And so today we're going to see that as a warning, Jesus tells us, get along. Now, I just came back, many of you know, from a, a little vacation with my wife and my in-laws. My in-laws are right here. Love my in-laws. Went on vacation. But going on this vacation, on the trip, it was like having a vacation with three teenagers. Now, I'm driving, and you've heard me talk before. You know that when I drive, I don't listen to the music. I don't listen to the radio. I can drive and a half hours to Gulf Shores, Alabama and not have a single word spoken in the car. That's just me. I like that. My wife, totally not like that. Neither are my in-laws. So here we are. We're heading off. We're going to Gulf Shores, Alabama. Kenya's in the front seat and she bought her some brand new AirPods or whatever and luckily Jamie showed showed her how to work them. And so she's got her phone and she's listening to her music and she's doing all of this right behind her is my father-in-law he's got movies on his phone and he's even figured out and hooked up some little thing that hooked on the back seat of kenya's seat that he could put his phone in and he could watch these movies all the way and my mother-in-law she's got her phone i don't know what she's doing on her phone i know a lot of it had to do with julio iglesias But they're on their phones, and they're—and you know what? I'm happy. I'm content with that. Ain't like it was in the old days, was it? You remember those long vacation trips, the bickering in the back seat? Now I'm talking about me, not my kids. I'm talking about me when I was a kid. That fighting and fussing and fuming—he touched me. She started it. Yeah. He looked at me funny. "Ah!" You know, all that. And then we had, you remember the old big sedans, the old big cars? You know, and you had that back seat. And this side of the seat had some kind of upholstery on it. And this side of the seat had some kind of upholstery on it. But there was that stripe down the middle. No man's land. That's what it was called in our car. Tim, you stay on your side. Karen... You stay on your side, and don't you cross into no man's land. I thought it was like the DMZ between North Korea and South Korea. I thought there were mines in the no man's land. And that if you touched it, it would explode. And you know, like kids do, we would see just how close we could come, right? Okay, does the little ripple thing, the seam, does that count as no man's land? Can you touch the little seam or not? You know, you got to be very specific with these rules. And you, and you as parents, you remember when your kid. Now, those of you that had three kids, I don't know what you did. Somebody was sitting in the no man's land. Okay, that's why we never had. That's why my parents never had a third child. There just wasn't room for them in the car. But as parents, you know how frustrating it is to have your children fighting. And bickering. And a lot of times it doesn't change when kids grow into adults. And you've either seen it in your own family or you've seen it in other families where siblings just cannot get along with each other. They hate each other. Something in the past, something happened that caused this, and it hurts the parents, it kills the parents. To see their children not get along. To see them have these difficulties. It's painful, heartbreaking, and devastating. We are God's children. God tells us and He wants us to get along with each other. And when we don't, it is painful, heartbreaking and dedicating, devastating, and it's even dangerous. The reason Jesus spends a lot of time in these chapters talking about love one another. Okay, we're going to go not... Star Wars, I think there's a spaceship out there or something. One of the reasons Jesus spends so much time talking about love in these chapters is because he knows that we are going to need each other. Now, he had already told us that we are not alone. And in that, he meant that God would be with us. Jesus would be with us. The spirit would be with us. And boy, isn't that important? Isn't it great to know that? But sometimes don't we just need flesh and blood to encourage us? We need one another. God did not create the church for for his benefit. He didn't create the church for his praise. That's a part of it. But he created the church for us for our encouragement, for our edification. For our fellowship. This is one of the topics that reoccurs. You read, if you've been reading or have read chapters 13 through 17 in John, you will see how many times Jesus comes back to this topic of love one another. It's not like there's one section, a love one another section in these verses. He hits it once, he hits it twice, three times, four times. You think maybe he was trying to make a point? You think maybe it's important? And Jesus reminds us where this love comes from. The first point that Jesus talks about is that the father loves the son. This love that Jesus is talking about is not of this world. It is divine. It is a holy love. It is a heavenly love. Jesus tells us in chapter 15 and verse 9, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. A father's love. Maybe for some of you that doesn't have the same response. Because maybe you did not have a great relationship with your father. Maybe you didn't, you, when, when you think of a father's love, that does not bring about positive images. But as a parent, we understand what ought to be the love that a parent has for a child. Now, I think that because we can't fully understand the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because I don't think we can grasp it Completely, because we're human and that is a little beyond us. We kind of get a little... Well, the Father loves the Son, but then they're also the same because they're both well, along with the Spirit, God. And, and. But Jesus specifically says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This love comes from the Creator to His Son. But parents understand that idea, the love that we have for our children, unconditional, protective, supportive in whatever they tend to be doing. Many of you know who Coach Shashevsky is, Coach K. Don't even try to spell it. But he is the basketball coach, the men's basketball coach at Duke University. And he's been there, you know, many, many, many years And he's won many national championships. Coach Krzyzewski has four daughters. And I remember seeing an interview. And and this was before I had any daughters. And I remember seeing an interview with him where the, the reporter asked him, Do you miss not having a son? To... Be involved in the athletics and basketball that you can pass it down and all those kinds of things. (laughs) And I'll never forget Coach K's response. He said, I'm around stinky, smelly, sweaty boys all day long. He said, it is nice to come home to girls. It is nice to not have to go to basketball. It is nice to go to band concerts. And theater performances. And dance and ballet. And whatever. All the other things were that his daughters were involved in. That's love. That's what parents have for their children. And it's a love that hurts. It's a love that hurts when our children hurt. That's why... You remember on the cross, Jesus cries out, and it's a quote from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think there's a spiritual application to it. And that is, and I've used this before, I think it's because at that moment, Jesus represented all the sins ever committed And all the sins that ever would be committed. That at that moment Jesus was paying that debt. That he was the sins of all mankind. And God couldn't look. I think there's a practical reason as well. As a father. He just couldn't stand to see his son in that much pain. He couldn't stand to see his son go through what he was going through. But the father loves the son. And Jesus says that in turn means that the son loves us. As the father has loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. This divine love is passed along from Jesus to us. Like generation to generation, in a sense. I love chapter 13 and verse 1 where this whole evening begins. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed the full extent of his love. You remember what happens next? Next takes off his clothes, puts the towel around him and begins to one by one wash his disciples' feet. I've asked you this before. If I were to ask you, what one event in the life ministry totality of Jesus being on earth, what one event fully explains the extent of Jesus' love for us If I hadn't prompted you already, I think we would all say the cross. It's got to be the cross. John says Jesus wanted to show the full extent of his love and he began washing their feet. Because you see, there's something about the cross that is theoretical. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, you got to understand sin. you got to understand justice. you got to understand God's grace. you got to understand a whole bunch of things before you can really understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I don't want to belittle the apostles. I don't want to belittle the disciples. But sometimes they had a hard time grasping deep thoughts. Right? But the rabbi, the teacher, The Messiah getting down on his knees and washing their feet that they could understand. And I think later that helped translate into their understanding of the cross and what it really meant. Jesus begins to wash the disciples of the, or the feet of the disciples, including. Judas. Now I believe that that moment was so tension filled. Have you? I want you to imagine the most tense moment you have ever been in in your life. Where you could just literally cut the tension with a knife. Where you were paralyzed. Because of fear and tension. That's what was going on as Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to Judas. Do you think he made eye contact with Judas? I think he made eye contact with all of them if they made eye contact with him. And you know, as usual, Peter couldn't stand the tension. He couldn't deal with it. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, oh, yeah, I am. Or you have no part of me. That love that Jesus had for his disciples. He had shown them love for the past three years. Yet it was in the washing of their feet that he showed the full extent of his love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It is not a love of ifs and whens. Jesus did not come along and say, I will love you if you do this. I will love you when you clean yourself up, get right, and ask me, then I'll love you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That same section of scripture says. We were enemies. While we were still enemies. Christ died for us. It was a two way love. That sent Jesus to the cross. A love for the father. And a love for us. And is the basis of the love. That we have for each other. So thirdly. We love each other. As the father has loved Me. So I have loved you. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You see what we're going up? We have a math equation going on here. If I believe that transitive property. Don't quote me on that. If A equals B, B equals C, then A equals C, right? The Father has loved me. I love you. You love each other. The love that I've gotten from the Father, I've given to you. You give to one another. From generation to generation to generation. From the Father to the Son to us. We love each other. That's what was new about the commandment, right? Weren't they told in the Old Testament to love each other? Love your neighbor? What? Yeah. So Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Well, that's not new. What do you mean, Jesus? That's not new. As I have loved you. That's how you love one another. First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that this love, first of all, is absolutely essential. Remember what he says at chapter on love that, you know, at the very beginning. If I can... You know, speak in tongues, if I can do all the, if I can say to this mountain, get up and move there, if I can do all these things and I have not love, I am nothing. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that if I have got the scriptures down pat, if I have figured out the Godhead and I understand the Spirit and His working, and I know everything there is to know about the Bible. And I don't have love, That I'm nothing. That's exactly what Paul says. Without love, it is nothing. You mean I can give to the poor, I can do all these different things. But if I'm not doing it out of love, it doesn't matter. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Love is essential. We have to love one another. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about how that love is unique. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love does not envy. All these things that he talks about in there. That is the heavenly divine love. You see, earthly love, it may be kind from time to time. But earthly love is selfish. Earthly love is self-seeking. I will love you as long as I am getting something out of it. I will love you as long as it is benefiting me. That's earthly love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is unique. Divine love that comes from God, the Father through God, the Son. To us, it is different. He also says that it is eternal Now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And you've heard it said, and I believe it's true. The reason the greatest of these is love is because love is the one that's going to last. When it comes to that day, when Jesus does come back, when the in the meantime is over, we're not going to need faith anymore. Because it's going to be reality. We're not going to need hope anymore. Because we will have attained what we had been hoping for. But we will continue to need love and have love throughout eternity. And if I can't get it right here. Then how am I going to get it right in eternity? If I don't love you now. Well, you make your own conclusions. We ought to have love for each other. Love is also noticeable. Chapter 13 of John, verse 34 and 35. A new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Wow. How do you, how do I know you're a Christian? How do I know you follow God? Well, because I can quote all the verses. Because I got this down exactly right. They will know we are Christians by the love that we have for each other. Are the other things important? Yeah, other things are important. Is God maybe going to judge us on some of those other things, the things he's told us to do and we don't do? Yeah. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, remember, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. What is going to be so lightful, enlightening? There we go. Maybe that's a word. I like lightful better. We'll go with it. What is going to be so lightful about our lives? What is going to attract people? Outsiders. Because they see a group of people that love each other. In a way that they do not see out in the rest of the world. they've, They've seen earthly love. They've seen that love that is conditional. They've seen that love that is based on what am I going to get out of it. But when they see a group of people who love each other unconditionally. Whose love is about service and encouragement and doing for others. That is going to pique their interest. That may even freak some of them out. They may not even be able to handle it. But they will know we are Christians by our love. And our love is also protective. In chapter 17, Jesus is praying. And in my Bible, it says Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for his disciples. And then Jesus prays for all believers. You know who that is? That you and me. Let that sink in a minute. Jesus is about to be arrested, tried, beaten, crucified. And he's praying for you. He's praying for me. That's love, isn't it? But Jesus, in praying for his disciples, he said, Lord, Father, it's going to be difficult. There are going to be difficult times. The world's going to hate them. And I wish I could take them out of the world, but I can't take them out of the world. They're going to be in the world, but out of the world. And I want you to protect them. And then he goes to after the disciples to pray for us, beginning in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The the warning is kind of subliminal. But Jesus had already told his disciples it's not going to be easy. Jesus had already prayed for his disciples saying, Father, be with them, protect them. In the meantime, We are to love each other. We are to look out for one another. We are to help each other. Some of you who are on the computer, you've seen the YouTube or the Facebook thing. I don't know, you know, whatever it was. But, you know, you got the herd of the wildebeest out there or whatever. And you've got the one lone wildebeest all over here by itself. Easy pickings for the lions. Take them out like that. But when they're all together in a herd, and when they're all surrounding each other and helping one another, and the lion comes in and they all turn towards the lion at one time, and all, the lion, many times the lion can't even get one out of the herd. Because they're protecting each other. It is going to be tough in this life. It is not going to be easy to be a Christian. And I believe it's going to become harder and harder even right here. To stand up for God and be a Christian. And that means I need you even more. We need each other even more. The stories of the POWs in Vietnam... Now, I'm sure it was the same way with any POWs in any war. But especially the ones in Vietnam who were totally separated and secluded from each other. Never allowed to see or talk to each other. They developed their own little secret code. And it may be nothing more than just a tap on the wall saying, I'm with you. I'm thinking about you. We're in this together. You're not alone. And it's great to know that God is with us. It is great to know that Jesus will never leave us. But it's also great to know that we have each other. And that we can encourage each other and love each other and support each other in the meantime. If you're here this morning, there's some way that we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.